3: let's get it going welcome into this thursday edition of the lombardi line alongside former nfl general manager michael lombardi on the east coast i'm stormy Tony out west circa resort and casino and it is a great day because we got thursday night football ahead coming up here shortly the eagles and vikings going head to head out there in philly michael not too far from you you excited for thursday night football in the area
4: I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, there'll be a lot of flags out today. I love Thursday Night Football all the time. And, you know, it's great. You know, it's fun to see. The, it's great weather day today here on the east eastern shore. You know, the humidity's mm-hmm. down. It'll be a lot of fun. I mean, look. It's hard to play these games, especially for both these teams coming off of so many injuries. I mean, that was a physical game up in New England for the Eagles. Usually the Eagles are the ones dishing out the punishment, not receiving it, especially from their offensive line to an opponent defensive line. And then, you know, Tampa gave Minnesota everything and they dominated the second half and they held Kirk Cousins to 60 yards passing in the second half and really kind of shut down that offense. So this this will be a fun game to see and to watch and and I think to see can the Eagles offense kind of get back to where they were last year you know we just assumed they can put any running back in there but Miles Sanders was really good last year have, do they have a replacement? We'll see Penny tonight, I'm sure.
3: Yeah, and hey, you don't have to remind me, by the way, of the Vikings' disappointing loss last week to the Buccaneers and Kirk, sorry, Cousins. Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins lighting it up in the first half, but also having three turnovers when they should have had a significant lead and instead they lose to the Buccaneers at home. So uh, that was a brutal loss for one of my Survivor contest entries. I do have two remaining. We'll talk plenty of contest, whether it be against the spread contest or Survivor when Mike Palm joins us. He'll be here for the Mm -hmm. final half hour of the show today. We'll also get palms pressing three. Love to close the show with that bad boy. But as we continue talking about this Thursday night football game and specifically that Eagles running back room, Kenneth Gainwell we know is going to be out. He was their lead back in that opening game against the Patriots, but you mentioned Rashad Penny. He was inactive week one. He'll be available Boston Scott as well as DeAndre Swift who I think a lot of people myself included had higher expectations in terms of his usage. Just one carry for three yards last week, uh, Maybe he'll see a little bit more. But I know, Michael, you have said, hey, the Lions probably moved on from this guy for a reason as well.
4: Well, I just think probably, you know, they 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 knew maybe he didn't have a long career. They were never going to sign him to a second contract. They they saw the impact that he had in terms of. Uh, what he could do for their offense, but they couldn't count on him. There wasn't a reliability. I mean, look, when you go through this, right, last week Philadelphia, they, you know, they averaged four point one yards per play against New England. You know, they they were uh they were they tried to throw it. They were fifty nine percent throwing the football in the game and they had the lead. And they were only thirty percent on third down in that game. They really they struggled and then defensively they were giving up nine yards per play. And they were giving up 0.256 points per play, which makes them look good. But as Mike Somich said and I've said, there was a lot more meat on that bone there. And they they held up on third down. That was the key. They held the Patriots to 33% on third down. But more than anything, they held them on fourth down. The Patriots were one for four on fourth down when they had opportunities to make plays. I think this team – look, you're Minnesota. You lose that game to Tampa. You gave up 3.6 yards per play you know and you did a really good job on third down you you should have won but unfortunately they turned the ball over and, and that killed them two things killed them. red zone offense 33% in the red zone and they turned it over
3: Yep, and uh, I think the combination of turnovers and how effective we know that offense can be against this Eagles secondary at the same token kind of leads another reason why we were angling at the over 49 points in this spot. I I need to make sure we give people all the lowdown on the injuries for this game. I mentioned Kenneth Gainwell, but for the defensive side, for this Philadelphia Eagles team, no N'Kobe Dean, uh, their linebacker who as you've referenced a couple times, was that green dot player for the defense. They've got to re-figure that out because not only is he done, but safety Reed Blankenship has been ruled out. James Bradbury um, has case in concussion protocol. He's been ruled out. And then their star defensive tackle, Fletcher Cox. He's questionable, trending toward going but still probably not 100% in the spot.
4: Yeah, and and the Green Dot thing's big, right? Because why is it big? It's big because of a short week. It's big because it's a communication tool that is so vital to the success of the defense but it's bigger this week than ever is because they didn't have a chance to work it. You know, they had no practice. So everything they did was walkthroughs. Well, it's a lot easier to walk through than it is to do it on a practice field. Excuse me, I'm sorry. That elephant thing doesn't work. I can't quite get (laughs) Uh, that yet.
3: It's it's cows juggling pineapples. We'll work on it. You just, it's okay. Anybody out there, you need a, a, a solution for your sneezes. Just imagine cows juggling pineapples. I swear it works. We'll get you on it. Michael, don't
4: worry thank you but i so the, they can't really re, they can't rehearse it and the crowd noise you don't have the crowd noise at practice so one thing even though you're on defense and you don't think the crowd noise is going to be a factor you got to recite that call quickly and you got to be able to make those checks quickly and like a lot of teams you may have you may have to check. Uh, it's a check with me call, formational call, hashtag call. You know, where is the ball down in distance? And so you've got to be able to do that. And that's going to be really hard. And if you're Kevin O'Connell, you want to do some things early in the game. Shift motion, shift strength, move somebody around, make them have to make and communicate and see what happens. That's going to be a key part to watch early in the game.
3: And we know how talented Justin Jefferson is certainly leading that wide receiver group for the Minnesota Vikings. I wanted to ask you specifically about his matchup with Darius Slay because it was problematic for him last year in that 24 to 7 loss on Monday Night Football Week 2 a year ago in Philly. On the uh, when Darius Slay was matching up with him in that game, one catch for seven yards on five targets when Slay was the nearest defender in coverage, also had two interceptions as the nearest defender. So Slay literally had more picks in that situation than our guy Justin Jefferson, the reigning offensive player of the year, had catches. So there was also a lot of trash talk after the game. Don't get me wrong. So maybe that's left to Justin Jefferson that much yeah. more motivated to have a big day. His prop is set at ninety-two and a half yards, his receptions number at six and a half. Do you think that he's poised to have a big day with that secondary or is there something to this Darius Slay matchup?
4: No, I think there's something to it. I think he'll have a big day. I don't, I think look Slay benefited. And so did Bradbury last year from great pressure. All corners bre- uh, benefit from that, and Slay was beat for a touchdown by Bourne, and and this past weekend, and Mac Jones didn't get the ball out to him. It was there. It was he was behind him. So, you know, this is what's really going to be challenging is they're going to go after Maddox in the slot. There's no quite Everybody wants to go after Maddox in the slot. Without Bradbury, who's going to be the out- starting outside corner? Are they going to put Ringo, the fourth round pick, in there? Are they going to play him outside because he's going to get tested? And now you've got a new free safety in there because Blankenship's hurt. So this secondary is really going to be challenged and stressed. So is the linebacking core. The back seven of this team will be stressed. And they've been able to avert that. I think they've been able to do that because last year they scored 207 points in the first quarter, in the second quarter. So they played from in front all the time. And if Minnesota can stay attached early in the game and not get behind – And wear down the and and kind of get control of the pass rush, right? I mean, New England starts the game off and it's three to nothing, and they're driving the ball down the field, and then Mac Jones throws the interception. Then they hold them. The next play, they they give up a touchdown. The next play, Eckler, uh, uh, Elliott fumbles, and now all of a sudden they're down 16 to nothing. So I think to me, if Minnesota can stay attached into the second quarter, the longer the game goes, the more the secondary is going to get exposed. I
3: think it's going to be a fun game that we have ahead tonight on Thursday Night Football. Minnesota been bet down now to mostly sixes across the board, but there are still six six and halves available. Total sitting 49. And Arlene, where we sit right now, is going to be over that total of 49. The big news of this week, Michael, has certainly been Aaron Rodgers tearing his Achilles on Monday Night Football. Just four plays into his his jets debut he finally has made a statement he went to instagram yesterday and vows in that in that final segment of his instagram post quote i shall rise yet again he said it's always darkest before the dawn certainly making it appear as though he's going to plan to return to the new york jets after he's healthy from that injury easier said than done however isn't it though michael
4: it really is and it's a long road back and i and i hope he tries to make it cuz no player wants to leave the game that way, no player wants to walk off the field with their Achilles and having those problems. And you know, guys try to come back, and the you know, and it's difficult because of the rehab. And but medicine is so far ahead of it was when these injuries occurred. The Achilles was the was unquestionably the end of the career mm-hmm. back in the '60s and '70s. I mean, they used to put you in a full cast back then. And so now he'll go through a procedure and how that rehab goes. It's going to take him some time, but I think his mindset's the right mindset. He's got to come back. He, he owes it to himself and he owes it to his team. And I think it's important to him. I really do.
3: Yeah. And you mentioned earlier in the program too something about him being in this new situation in New York. He just seems happier. And this team really did invest so much in him and he invested so much time and effort back. And, uh, you know, you felt for him when you heard about that moment that Garrett Wilson had going back into the locker room at halftime. And he just said, I'm sorry, kid, because he knows the opportunity that was potentially lost for the Jets this year.
4: Yeah, it's hard. I mean, look, these are not easy things to overcome. And what I don't think fans see is how hard the rehab is, Mm -hmm. how dedicated you have to be on your own. And the trainers around these NFL teams do an incredible job. They do an incredible job of helping, but it's still hard. It's going to be hard and it's going to require him to live in New York all year. It's you can't go anywhere. you got to stay there and, and, and rehab right there because the season might be over but you're still rehabbing
3: Yep, we've seen a big adjustment uh, in the Jets game this coming weekend due to that injury with Zach Wilson now being the starting quarterback uh, we just mentioned the line move in the Thursday night football game for Vikings Eagles there are a number of games on the slate though where we've seen at least a point of change we'll go through it when we return
2: why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
4: This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive
1: Michael Lombardi. Now here's your host, Stormy bonatoni on VSEN, the sports
4: betting network.
3: Before you make your next bet, be sure to visit vcin.com and check out the current betting splits data. Want to know where the money and bets are moving every game? The betting splits page is updated with DraftKings odds every five minutes so you can see changes in all the action. Find out where the public's betting based on the number of tickets and where the money doesn't match the public opinion. You can check out not just today's action, but future events as well, betting splits. Another way, vcin is here to make you a more informed, better year-round. You can check out today's betting splits for every game at vcin.com welcome back into the lombardi line alongside former nfl executive michael lombardi stormy bond and tony with you a great conversation about thursday night football a moment ago and michael we were talking about the way that the line has moved we've seen a lot of money come in on the minnesota vikings at that point what was seven and a half point spread now sitting six most shops because of all of the injuries specifically to that Eagles defense. But there are a number of games on this week two slate that have seen some line moves that I want to make sure we touch on here. Mm -hmm. One of which being the Raiders and bills. That thing has gone down from the Raiders getting nine and a half points to eight and a half after the performance that we saw on Monday night from Josh Allen in Buffalo.
4: Yeah, I mean, look, I thought the line was, look, the Raiders played much better last week than you would have thought they would have against a team that, you know, they had controlled and beaten and they did exactly what Raiders typically do with Josh McDaniels. They ran the football more than they threw it. Their completion percentage was almost 77%. They were outstanding on third down in that game against the Broncos and the Broncos are not a Broncos are a good defense. You know, but I think what what happened last week for the Raider fans is they were much improved in terms of their defense. Now, look, the the opponent completion percentage was almost 80% last week. But they were all checked down. They were all passes down there. This has got to change a little bit, I think. And the concern you have if you're Buffalo, Buffalo to me is a small team. And their middle linebacker is small. Milano's small. I mean, they're really a nickel team all the way, and if they don't play from in front and can rush, it, it becomes a problem. And this will be a little bit harder of a matchup than most people think because the Raiders are a two back run team, and the Raiders want to run downhill. Now, what happens in these games if the, the Buffalo is going to load up to stop the run? There's no question. But if the Raiders get behind, then it becomes a real issue. Michael, but this if is... the Raiders can stay attached then they can run the ball and get the game into the third quarter when, when the size of the Bills starts to wear down. I think they got a chance. So I have a personal
3: selfish question for you, um, fantasy team related, is what we <laughs> saw from Jacoby Myers last week. You know, we had the segment different game or more of the same a little bit earlier as it pertains to certain players. I have that question about Jacoby Myers. Are we going to see more of the same of what we saw that yeah. opening week?
4: I think we will, but the problem is he's in concussion protocol, so we won't know if we're going to see him. That's the problem, and that really is a huge loss for them because the Raiders really want to be a 12 team. They want to have two tight ends on the field, Hooper and Meyer, and then have Meyer and Jacoby Myers and Devontae Adams out there. They limited a little bit of Renfro. Renfro wasn't really Mm -hmm. in the game plan last week. And when they play against teams like Denver and Buffalo, they're not going to want to open the formation and allow Buffalo's athleticism on the, on the edges and athleticism in the middle of the field take over. Uh, they're, they're going to have to go in there and do what Cincinnati did last year, which is kind of run the ball and be physical with them. That's the key. And the McDermott McDaniel matchup is always really good because both guys know each other really well. McDaniel understands what McDermott's trying to do. McDermott played more man last week against the Jets than I've seen him play, uh, and and had some success with it. So if Myers isn't in the game, then they're going to double they're going to double Adams and say, okay, who's going to beat me?
3: Well, Michael, I know that you have some uh, some pretty good relationships in that building. If you could get an update on his status as soon as possible and send it my way via text or DM, you, you whatever sound like you Bill need. <laughs>
4: you sound like Bill Berman. You sound like – I mean, yesterday, Devontae Adams, is, Adams is, on his, uh, is on his fantasy team. And so when the injury report comes out, he's listed <laughs> – the, the, the family text chain just got lit up with the fantasy football. You know, it just got lit up. Well, tell Berman somebody, you got to add me to the list.
3: I'm, I'm going to chime in. I'm going to need my, my fantasy nuggets from you here this season, Michael. Uh, let's keep going here. The Lions obviously had a, a really important win on Thursday night football against the Kansas City Chiefs. They were able to take advantage of a team without Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones. Now they're facing a Seattle Seahawks squad that looked Uh, lackluster would be putting it kindly, especially given what we saw in the second half last week. So they've gone from a four and a half point favorite at home against Seattle to now five and a half.
4: Yeah. I I mean, look last year, this game was unbelievable. Both teams went over 500 yards. It was a 48, 45 arena (laughs) league back and forth. Nobody punted. It was fun to watch. If you're not a defensive coach, (laughs) uh, you know, Seattle could conceivably be without both starting tackles in this game. We know they put Abraham on IR, so Cross, is he going to play? It's going to be an interesting that he's got a, ter, a turf injury. He's got a toe injury, turf toe, so can he play and push off? They signed Jason Peters. If the picture that I saw of Jason Peters is who he is right now, there's no chance he's getting on the field on Sunday. There's just no way. I mean, he doesn't look like he was in any kind of shape, but he's 41 years old. Who could blame him, Right. So that's going to be an issue. Now, they could get Jamal Adams back at linebacker. He is a linebacker, he's not a safety. They'll put him in the box and they get Weatherspoon. I think to me, Seattle's defense has got to take a mother may I step up. And they did not, they got pushed around last week by a bad offensive line of the Rams. And if Detroit is healthy, now Decker's on the injury list, the left tackle, they could move Sewell over to left tackle if they had to and they will do that if Decker can't play that kind of helps that helps Seattle out a little bit because the strength of the Detroit team offensively is their offensive line
3: Now, the other side of that Thursday night football contest was the defending Super Bowl champion Chiefs. They were a two and a half point favorite. We've now seen that go up to three and a half against the Jags, a team that did not like how they played on opening night. Looks like they're going to get Travis Kelsey back. He was practicing and looked uh, unhampered, I guess you could say, uh, at that practice, jumping around, running around, looked like himself and Chris Jones making his debut this season with the holdout complete. Right move, you think, with the line getting up to three and a half? Or how do you feel about Jags? Jacksonville in this spot?
4: Well, I, I never thought Jacksonville was ever in the game last year, right? And and for what Jackson, I mean, Jacksonville gave up this week, the defensively, they just never could get control of the game. And for as bad as the Chiefs, think about this, Stormy, for as bad as the Chiefs' offense looked last week, they averaged 5.1 per play. Jacksonville, for as good as they look and what we're all talking about, they averaged 5.0. And Jacksonville was 25% on third down last week against uh, against Indianapolis. So for me, I think I think Kansas City, Andy Reid coming off a bye, Andy Reid having more time. I think they'll be able to. Remember, Jacksonville last week, he threw, he was only 49%. Comp- he, they were trying to run the ball as much as anything. He was outstanding in completion, he was 75% complete of his passes but they struggled on third down and they struggled to really be explosive with their plays. So in the fourth quarter is when they got it going and that's when they played their best.
3: How much does having Travis Kelsey back for Kansas City elevate what they're going to try to do in the pass game? There were a lot of drops from that receiving core, most notably Kadarius Toney in the second half.
4: You know, it's funny when you go back and look at the percentage of pass plays to rush plays last week, When they, without Kelsey, they still threw it 63% of the time. Which I kind of thought they would have run it a little bit more, you know, because they mm-hmm. weren't good at receiver. But that's not Andy. Andy's not going to do it. I, I think they'll be back to being normal again. They'll be sixty-five pass, 30, 35 run, and you'll see more Pacheco because when you watch that tape, uh, Hilaire didn't really, you know, he missed some runs that he could have made some big explosive plays on, and he let it go. Mm.
3: Uh, the 1999 Broncos, fun fact, the last team to win a Super Bowl and start their season 0-2. The Chiefs are three and a half point favorite in this spot. We'll see if they can keep that trend going and not be one of those squads that loses their first two. Okay, we got the Browns and Steelers as well. Another line move there where the Browns initially were an underdog, but now we see them as a two point favorite against Pittsburgh. The Steelers trying to bounce back from what was a, a brutal situation against the 49ers.
4: Look, I think the Browns are good, and and I, I think the Steelers are good too. So I don't, I agree with the line move uh, when it opened. I don't agree with the line move as it happened. I, I think to me this is a, this is to me it's a pick'em game all the way. It, it's going to be a battle, and we're going to find out how tough we're going to find out how tough the the Brownies are because they're going to get you know Tomlin's going to be all over his team this week. And I think the Browns, what they show defensively, they showed that they're going to be very good defensively. I don't don't have any doubt about that. I mean, but to think they're going into this game giving up 2.6 yards per play, no, I don't think that's going to happen. However, I do think they're going to be really good on third down. They held Cincinnati to 13% on third down, which is what Schwartz basically does. That's where he's really good. The concern you have last week when you watch Pittsburgh, and because San Francisco is so dynamic, is are they going to be better on offense? I mean, are they going to be able to be the defense that we saw at the end of last year, which is why we were all so high on them going into week one. That defense was really good. Other than the 37 they gave up against Cincinnati, they played well. But once again, what quarterbacks did they play, right? What quarterbacks did they beat to mount that? And I think that's one of the things I tended to overlook when they went in there. Purdy played really well.
3: And unfortunately for the Steelers, no Cam Hayward. He's going to miss expected up to eight weeks with that groin surgery he had to have. We're going to step aside. When we return, Mike Palm, VP of Circa, is going to join us on set for the final half an hour.
1: This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here is your host, Stormy Bonatoni on vSEN, the sports betting network.
3: Make this football season your best ever by becoming a VEASAN Pro subscriber. Get full access to everything we do, including our daily best bets with the leaderboard to see which VEASAN expert has the hot hand. Betting splits to show you where the money and bets are moving every game, as well as betting systems, premium analysis, and 24-7 video access. Sign up for a VEASAN annual subscription. You'll also get a free copy of our guy, Michael Lombardi's new book, Football Done Right. All you got to do is use the promo code Lombardi when you sign up. And if you want an autographed copy, of the book, email us, subscribe at vcin.com. This is a limited time offer, so sign up today. vcin.com slash subscribe is where you can do it. We're rolling along here on the Lombardi line on a Thursday alongside former NFL executive Michael Lombardi, Stormy Tony with you, and excited as always on a Thursday to welcome in great friend of the show, Mike Palm, VP of Operations right here at Circa Resort and Casino. And of course, our viewers are very familiar listening to him in this hour when you come in on Fridays with Femi and Pray. How are you?
5: Oh, yes. It's, it's happened once, but they're very familiar with it. I'm great, Stormy. I look forward to these 30 minutes all week long. It's always good to pick Michael's brain.
3: Well, appreciate you you joining us. We got a big Thursday night football game on tap, too. So excited to get your thoughts and understanding on, on where the, the line has been going. It seems like it's been one-way traffic to Minnesota.
5: Yeah, one-way traffic to Minnesota. And uh, that's obviously due to the injuries uh, to the Eagles defense. Um <laughs> Even as the game gets under seven for me, I don't know if I want to play it in this spot. I I told everyone that would listen for the two weeks prior, if you had survivor entries, do not use Minnesota in week one. I I did not trust them at all against Tampa Bay. And I got so many people that direct messaged me or texted me and said, thank you. I was going to put some part of my... My survivor picks on Minnesota but I shied away from it and you just saw from early in that game that it it was going to be competitive Um, I I don't know that their defense is any bit improved from last year now I will get into this in the pressing three in the next segment but obviously Baker Mayfield came out and said he had figured out their defensive calls by the second half so he knew by their signals what coverage they were going to be in I'm going to ask Michael about what the implications of that are Um, but I don't know. I don't know if I ever trust Kirk Cousins. Do I trust him in prime time? Obviously, the score wasn't indicative of the game in Foxborough either because without the early turnovers, the Patriots are winning that game.
4: Yeah. Yeah, Mike, they, the, you know, when you go back and watch the tape, it's even worse. It's Patriots really were their own worst enemy and and Philly – came out of there with a five point win and were fortunate. Again, it was their lowest offensive output in twenty seven games for the Eagles with Jalen Hurts at quarterback. So they did a really they they did what good teams typically do. Don't play their best and win. And they did. And New England once again self inflicted wounds. They turned the ball over and gave Philadelphia the points that they needed to win the game. And and still in spite of that they had ample opportunity to win the game at the end. I mean you know, they turn the ball over in the fourth quarter. They don't get that. Seriani and the Eagles get the ball back, and all they need is one more first down or a long punt. He goes for it on fourth and two, and they stop him. And now they're throwing it, and if Boutte gets his second foot down, they might actually win that game.
5: Yeah, I agree with you uh, wholeheartedly there. I know there was some concern about the eagles defense and i know mike samich talked about it in the first hour uh in terms of getting the total over and how much new england went up and down the field in that game but let you know the last time we saw this philly defense they couldn't get kansas city off the field either in the second half of the super bowl not once so um you know that that could be a little bit of a of where they were at the end Mm -hmm. of the year and then obviously the injuries come into effect
4: You know, Mike, it's funny you say that. I was talking to somebody today. When you go through Philly's year last year, and again, they had a great year, but, you know, tell me the quarterbacks that they beat that were, I mean, they beat Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, right? And they put 33 points on them. They couldn't stop Kansas City. They put 38 on them. I mean, I think the biggest misconception about Philadelphia is this secondary. I hear Slay. I hear Bradbury. Well, Bradbury got cut from New York. You know why? Because they want to play man-to-man, and they didn't think Bradbury could play man-to-man. Now, they signed Bradbury to a huge deal, but Bradbury's a really good player when the rush is going. You know, when, when that rush is operating and it's going good, they're hard to play, but you go through it from Pittsburgh in Week Eight with with uh, Kenny Pickett and Mitchell, all the way down to Week Eighteen with with uh, now the quarterback coach of the, the the of the Denver Broncos, Davis 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 Webb. I mean, what quarterback in there did they play? Dak Prescott. Dak put 400, 300 yards on him. I mean, there's no other quarterback that they played in that group other than Rodgers.
5: Purdy got so, hurt. Purdy got hurt in the, Purdy, in the and first Purdy half. Purdy got hurt. In the, in the, in the, <laughs> yeah,
4: Purdy got hurt. Now, they can't, they can't control that, but we yeah. can control that in an evaluation. But what has always offset that, Mike, has been their ability to rush, their ability to create problems. And when Riddick didn't make a play last week or sweat – And all, you know, and they started two rookie guards in there. You saw the liability, especially now at linebacker. They lost two of their starting linebackers, too.
3: Uh, Mike, you also said you know you were trying to talk everybody out of betting the Vikings or picking the Vikings for Circus Survivor. I hear this week you're very anti Giants. Um, see, Michael has been slowly talking me into taking the Giants this week, so I, I need some devil's advocate would, in my life. I would. I
4: was. Pl- I was not trying to talk you into it. I was talking you into another option. I think mm-hmm. sometimes we can help ourselves if we can if we see another option which reinforces maybe the first option.
5: Um. I would use Buffalo. Here's here's why I wouldn't use the Giants. Um, in addition to the fact that they showed no redeemable qualities on Sunday night whatsoever. I mean, what did, what did Dallas... Dallas had pressure on almost every drop-back passing situation. I and, also and think let's, the
3: Giants had a comedy let, of errors pretty early, Well, though, but too. Let's,
5: let's be honest about the first drive that led to the field goal attempt. The two big plays were Daniel Jones running. They, they generated nothing out of a set offense there, so... Uh, that's one factor. I, I thought the Cardinals were a little spunky with their defense. I thought their defense was decent. Uh, you know, they had the ball with a chance to win the game in Landover uh, under two minutes to go. So, I mean, you, you can't fault that. But here's the other thing, Michael. I think in Survivor, you want to limit uncertainty. Okay? Yes. And one of the phrases you use is you got to learn not to lose before you learn to win. I say you limit uncertainty. Let's not forget about that turf in Glendale. It was a problem all last year. It was a horrific problem in the college football semifinal game between Michigan and TCU. It was horrible in the Super Bowl. They brought in George Toma, all the King's horses and all the King's men. And they couldn't fix the field. Why are we convinced the field is fixed now? I think that adds to another level of uncertainty for folks that want to use the Giants and Survivor on Sunday.
4: Plus the Giants, I mean, Waller's hurt with a hamstring. You know, and they said, well, it was a rest day yesterday. Well, he keeps showing up on the injury report with a hamstring. He had two catches for what, 20 yards last week? You know, I agree with you. I mean, look, one thing you don't want to do is take a row team. And I, I agree completely. Arizona plays hard and they'll play effort, they'll do all that. But at the end of the day, this is a game the Giants typically win, and the Giants can't afford to lose this game because they're going to San Francisco next week on a Thursday night.
3: And I also don't want to throw out like all of the thought process that I had about the Giants coming into this season. The spread was what it was against Dallas for a reason. Like we all thought that it was going to be a little bit of a different type of a game coming in. And week ones can be weird and wonky. And so I just don't want to take away too much of that. And then on the Cardinal side of it too yeah, I know that they were spunky and they showed some heart and effort, but they also spotted Sam Howell 10... Sam Howell spotted them 10 points in that game. So I still think that they're bad and I don't want to take out all my preconceived notions about Arizona being bad. So it's kind of a back and forth. I still have a lot of time to figure out what I want to do. Not only would
5: you be taking a team on the road, you're going to take a bad team on the road. And if you want to say... a bad
4: offensive line. Yeah. Yeah, A bad offensive line on the road, too. That's the other... That's the one thing that's kept me away from recommending (laughs) Arizona...
3: It's not like Buffalo well, you know, is super Thursday, endearing we week one either. It. Yeah. Like I have a lot to uh, think about still. At least I'm not the I person think, that you talked about earlier that had ten entries and didn't uh, submit. I think
5: that was a setup. Which I, I swear that sounds to God, like a I dumb
3: think, setup to put ten grand well, down if you're a law I don't student, know. Like what
5: what a second year female law student is buying ten survivor entries and then and then formulating this legal letter as a demand to get the money back and damages. Um, based on the fact that it was confusing and not clear what the submission time was. The deadline was she kept calling it in her email to Jeff Benson, your NFL draft contest. Yeah, I heard the circus survivor. But anyhow, it's like a paper chase to me. I think this may be a setup in a law school class to play this thing out. But that's 10 of the 31 that didn't put it in. Is that one person? I so, thought
3: that was wild. I didn't expect that when you this, when you were. how on could they, they
4: forget that? How did no. they not put it in?
5: Well, For they, week one, they thought that they could put it in before the 10 a.m. kicks on Sunday and they said it wasn't clear Jeff Benson said well first of all right on the website is all the rules and when you gave us your ten thousand dollars to get to 10 entries you signed
3: that you understood
5: all rules of the contest
3: and it's, the, the people up there at the counter remind you of that too when you sign it's, up it, it's like they do a good job of that very, I've signed up I know
5: very strange story um, very strange how many entries do you have
3: I have I'm down to two now
5: what how many did you have three and you used the Vikings on For one,
3: one of them, them yeah.
5: and, and what you used the other two? The Commanders. Okay.
3: So both of them were not easy going by any means. But I thought the
5: Commanders were just the right play because you can't use them again.
3: The Commanders. <laughs> yeah. I just didn't want to overthink it and talk myself out of the obvious because I feel like I did that last year, and then this year it still ended up and being. That a might sweat. be the
4: Buffalo pick, Stormy. <laughs> that might be why taking Buffalo. Don't. I feel don't like overthinking.
3: No week is going to be easy. We'll be right back. Sync <laughs> three when we return.
1: Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare.
3: This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here
1: is your host, Stormy Bonatoni on v the sports betting network
3: in full swing with another week of epic games and who's got you covered on the action for each and every one of them DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet $5 on football and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Get in on the NFL week 2 action with DraftKings Sportsbook you can download the app now and use the code Vegas to sign up. New customers bet $5 and take home $200 instantly in bonus bets. Only in DraftKings Sportsbook. Use the code Vegas. The crown is yours. Welcome Welcome back to the Lombardi line as we round things out alongside VP of operations here at Circa Resort and Casino, Mike Palm. I'm Stormy Bonantoni. He's Michael Lombardi, and it is time for Palm's pressing three. Mike Palm's got some very important questions for our guy, Michael.
5: Michael, can we draw any strong conclusions from the Browns' dominant win over the Bengals on Sunday in Cleveland. They have dominated the Battle of Ohio, having won 5 of 6 and 8 of 10 heading into that game. Joe Burrow was recovering from a preseason injury and was pulled in the second half. And the weather did impact the game with a steady, persistent rain. But nothing for nothing, the Bengals had 13 drives and had multiple first downs on only two of them, punting 11 times, including all seven first half possessions. Just how good are the Cleveland Browns?
4: Well, I think they are good, and I think Schwartz makes a big difference. And I think if you want to back the Browns this weekend, it's because you feel like Schwartz will do a really good job. Against a Matt Canada offense, I think that's the that is really the game in the game right there, and Schwartz is an outstanding game planner he's an outstanding adjuster, and he uses players like when he put Miles Garrett over Ted Karras. What does that tell us? Why would he do that well? If you study tape, you know Ted Karras, who I love to death. We drafted him in the seventh round, is limited athletically. He's not going to move laterally. And if you cover him up and the guards can't help him to one A-gap or the other, then he's on an island, and it's like a a basketball game. All I got to do is get to the hoop. I just got to get by you. It's really like Allen Iverson and me guarding him, (laughs) to the hoop. And so that's what he did. And that's what makes Jim such a great coach. And that's what he's always been good at doing, whether it was Tennessee or winning a Super Bowl in Philadelphia. Now, he's got to rely on the front. I, I like the Browns. I do. I think we're not going to see that level of dominance. I mean, the Bengals never even got down to the red zone, but we're going to see better play. And I think that's reflective in how the Browns played too. I mean, our boy Kevin Stefanski, Mike, he actually punted the ball in fourth and two. Can you believe that? I think the weather had a lot to do with that, but I, I applauded the decision and look, the
5: secondary all first and second round picks too. I think they're good on all three levels. I think this is one of the best two or three teams in the AFC. I thought it going into the year and I thought their so performance was the best performance of week one question two, Michael. While Greg Roman is back teaching PE <laughs> at Atlantic city high school. Todd Munkin is now t- calling the plays in charm city in a game against the lowly Texans in which they never trailed. He called exactly two design run plays for Lamar Jackson. Can the Baltimore Ravens get to the Super Bowl using this kind of a formula?
4: I don't think they can. And yeah. I, Look, I have such conflict with the Ravens' offense, whether it was Roman or now Monkin. I see Lamar differently than they do. Obviously, they must know him better than I do. I see him as an under center quarterback. I see him as a guy who should run bootlegs and nakeds. I see him as a guy that should be in shotgun at times, but I also see him as a guy that you need to run, not the six-back offense, that throws the ball the best in the middle of the field. And I didn't see any of that from the Munkin offense. To me, I go back to Bill Walsh. It's scouting inside out, Right. Here's what we need to do to win the game. Here's what our players do really well. It's what's got to happen in New York. It's what's got to happen with Zach Wilson. Look, I'm not trying to sit here and say Zach Wilson's a great player, by no means. But you got to do what he does well. And it's the same thing with Lamar. I don't see that. Now, maybe I'm wrong, because everybody in Baltimore doesn't seem to listen. They want to change it to what he is. They keep trying to make him an outside thrower, and they keep drafting little receivers. But look, Mike, they got Beckham, and really, that's all they need.
3: You love that one. (laughs) Also, unfortunate for the Ravens, for anyone that missed it, J.K. Dobbins done for the year with an Achilles injury. They're getting three and a half points at the Bengals this week.
5: Question three, Michael, and we mentioned it in the first segment. Baker Mayfield claims he learned all of the Vikings' defensive play calls by the second half in Minneapolis on Sunday. Should the Vikings Kings have picked up on this and changed their signals and moving for your forward. How do you evaluate the Buccaneers offense knowing that they had the answers to the test?
4: Yeah. I mean, if they had the answers to the test. They didn't look that explosive to me. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I would be promoting that. Would you Mike? No,
5: I thought it huh? was strange that he would talk about that publicly. <laughs> Well, Baker Mayfield does too. a lot of
4: strange things, <laughs> if we recall. I mean, I, I didn't get the sense that they had any control of that game offensively. If they did have the if they did have the numbers, I, I didn't see that. Maybe I missed something there. But look, Minnesota, we all everybody changes it. Sometimes the guys, the 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 coach, the, the signaler, some guys he's not, you know. But look, here is the other thing: is did did they lose a green dot player? Like. Nobody's nobody's signaling in anymore. Like what did nobody ask this question did they lose a green dot player? Because if they did then you have to mm. then then the other team can't use their helmets. So like I don't get this. Like if they used it, if they didn't use it. Now let's just put things in perspective. I mean, Minnesota's defense held their team that team to 33.6 yards per play. I mean, Baker was at 61% completion, which, you know, he was 35% on third down. He was 50% in the red zone. But I, I don't know how this is a story if they didn't lose their green dot player. That's why we, we, we opened the show up talking about green dot players. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, for anybody who missed it, by the way, when we were talking about all of the injuries as it pertains to the Philadelphia Eagles defense this week, N'Kobe Dean, their linebacker, was the Green Dot player. He gets injured. The Green Dot goes to uh, Blankenship. Now Mm -hmm. he's out and unavailable for this game. So um, the guys who are primarily used to doing those signals unavailable in the game. Also, no James Bradbury defensively. Fletcher Cox questionable, but should be okay to go based on what we've seen.
5: Michael, I want to ask you a follow-up question here. We have a few minutes. If you're Sean McVay and Georgia Frontieri and the Jets call you and say, we're going to give you a first and a third
4: for Matthew Stafford, do you entertain that offer? Oh, they would love to. Mm-hmm. And you're going to take the contract mm-hmm. off my hands. Mm-hmm. You're, going to t- you're going to take this contract off my hands. You know, they were never trying to trade them. Teams were just calling them in such a haste to pay 59 million. Look, I think Stafford looked good last week. can he survive? Can he last? Can he stay durable? Those are questions that have to get answered. I'm not sure, but yeah, I think if, if the Rams, if the Cron if they called Cronkie up and said, yeah, but it's not plausible because they've got they can't. They're, mm-hmm. Here's the thing that's interesting, Mike. the three teams that have spent the most cash over cap this year, going into the season are Cleveland, the Jets and the Houston Texans. (laughs) Think about that.
3: Yeah, we were talking a lot about the Texans yesterday. That's kind of shocking to to really think about when you put it in perspective. These last couple of minutes, I wanted to ask you um, about Colorado this week, the comments that have been making the round from Jay Norvell about Deion Sanders saying, you know, when when I talk to grownups, I take my hat and glasses off. That's what my mother taught me. I feel like Deion Sanders is a coach that finds motivation in nothing. And now he actually has disrespect, so to speak, coming his way this week. The, the spread in that game against CSU in the Rocky Mountain Showdown is 24. Could you see them getting a good lead and then just kind of sticking it to them late now based on some of these comments?
5: I think this is a bad matchup for for Colorado State because I think that they're going to be able to throw the ball uh, all over the field. I had Colorado State the first week. I was dead wrong against Washington State. I think this is mm. going to look like that. Um, and everybody's Sa- betting Colorado. Sanders. The
3: public's all over this team now.
5: Deion Sanders is is playing chess when everyone else is playing checkers. I think we had on the Friday show on, on your show, Michael, last week Uh, Pritch had his good friend, Solomon Wilcox on who called many games. It was a great, Mm -hmm. great color guy. I mean, I remember him working with Ian Eagle and and Kevin Harlan. Um, and he was playing in Cincinnati when, when Dion was playing for the Reds. Right. And so they had a relationship and he remembers, you know, conversations with Dion two, three years ago when Dion said, you know, college football is going to get free agency and everything's going to change, which essentially it has now. Um, and, and he's done a really good job. Um, recruiting these kids are well coached everybody all these former players want to be part of that program and coach these kids up and hall of famers and and all that i i they're a very fundamentally sound team they play with such pace and when you have to go to elevation and try to match that pace everybody wanted Nebraska. all the sharp guys You know, like Samich, those guys were all on Nebraska last week. I just didn't think that their defense could play 70 snaps at elevation, which they can do to you. Uh, We'll see when they go to Oregon in two weeks how good they are. But I think dion he's a very good marketing. He's inclusive of all people. He's publicly well-liked. He's doing great things for college football here, and uh, he has no desire to go to the pros. He doesn't want to coach rich men, you know.
4: Yeah, and and nobody will give them that much authority. Sean Lewis, the offensive coordinator, and the defense coordinator. I think those are the unsung heroes there. They've done great jobs at Colorado.
3: Yeah, that's going to do it for this Thursday edition of the Lombardi Thanks, Line.
4: Mike, great job. Yes, thank you.
3: Thank you to Mike Palm, Mike Samich as well. Our producer, Elliot Bowman. Everybody behind the glass who helps make this show go. Coming up on DraftKings Network, Pablo Torre here on Veasan, the sports betting network. It'll be the Sharp Money crew getting you set for Thursday night football and beyond.